Morning, New Hope. It's good to see you all and uh, be together this morning. If we haven't met, my name's Ryan, one of the pastors here, and uh, it's been a great morning so far. It's just been a a fantastic time, uh, last service and worship and and just being together and seeing one another, and uh, and the weather's going to be great too. So as Dean had already mentioned, 5.30 tonight, Cowboy Church, if you don't have plans, Come on out and be a part of the time. It's, uh, it's a pretty special thing to behold and, and to be together in, in a very different kind of environment. So it's, uh, it's a special thing. Hey, anybody here ever have an experience where you were misrepresented or misunderstood? I think the obvious answer is yes. Isn't true? I mean, we've all had that, that moment where, where a person or a group formed an opinion about you and, and in your core you just felt like that's not me and, and that's not true and that's not what happened and, and it's just difficult to, uh, to be in that place and to, and to feel that and, and, and then to try to undo it, to try to go back and to say, no, no, that's not it and, and chasing all that. It's a little bit like putting toothpaste back in the tube, as they say. I mean, it's just a difficult thing to do. It's a frustrating experience to have. But then I think about God and think about all the different ways he's misrepresented and he's misunderstood. I mean, all the different ideas that are out there about who he is, all the the different perceptions that that we could spend weeks and weeks on talking about. I mean, they're just almost endless. I mean, ideas like like, like God's not in control and and God's just walking around mad at you all the time or or he's some kind of like Zeus-like figure with lightning bolts and and anytime that you're having too much fun or you're not doing the right thing, he's just ready to zap you and and get you. That's his character somehow. Again, these, these ideas that are out there. But God, here's the thing. He wants to be known. I mean, God wants to be known. I mean, we have these different ideas out there, and then, and then he gives us his word. Like, like God is not the, the, the person that's, uh, that's out there that just we get to create who he is. That He tells us who he is. He tells us about his, his character. He tells us about uh, his, his um, objectives and what he's trying to accomplish in the world. In the word, in the world. And, and he tells us that in his word, that he says over and over again, this, this is who I am and this is what I'm like. And so we get to discover that as we learn more about him. But you can also go beyond this. You can look in the physical world. You can see what's out there in creation. You can, you can look at sunrises and, and sunsets and, and mountains and beaches and behold his, his beauty and his majesty and, and his power and who he is, a little about his character in that way. You can also look in your own lives, can't you? And for any one of us, you, could, you can look back and see all the ways that God was faithful. And, and kind, beyond what we deserved, and loving and patient, and, and just, just all these different character traits as he begins to pour those out into our lives. God wants to be known. He wants to be known. And, and that's, a, that's an important thing here as we consider what we're going to be talking about today, that God wants to be known, but that he's so oftentimes misunderstood in so many ways. And you know, you have an enemy, and so do I. That we saw, like last week we talked about in the Garden of Eden, where, where the serpent shows up and deceives Adam and Eve so that Eve begins to misunderstand who God is. So you have an enemy that wants you to misunderstand who God is. It wants to misrepresent who God is. In fact, if you have a bulletin, I hope you do, on the back side, you can um, fill in some notes here as we go along this morning. Here's your very first fill in the blank here, because your enemy wants you to misunderstand who the Lord is. Here's the saying that we're going to go with this morning. It's this, that your enemy wants to sow in you doubt 
He wants to sow in you distrust, and he wants to sow in you disdain, meaning scorn or contempt toward God. He wants you to struggle with that. He wants you to wrestle with that idea, this, this idea that I, I don't know if I, I have doubts about God, I don't know if I can trust God or even disdain toward God. And your enemy will stop at nothing to get you to that place where you experience and feel those types of things, doubt, distrust, in disdain. Jesus even talked about this. Look with me at John chapter 8, verse 44, just on the screen behind as we just kind of keep moving through this morning. Jesus says this. He says, you, he's speaking to the Jewish religious leaders, you belong to your father, the devil, and, and you want to carry out your father's desires. See, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, here it is, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar, and the father of lies. And your enemy, again, will use, will use everything, and especially as we see here, lies. Lies being his chief weapon to deceive you and to distract you in order for you to doubt, distrust, and ultimately grow in some kind of a, of a hatred toward God. He wants to do that in the lives of people. That is part of his activity. That is what he is trying to do. He is trying, see, here's the thing. When Satan lies and we believe the lie, those lies become mental bullets that inflict our lives. That's what happens. Because see, here's what your enemy knows. This is what he knows. He knows, and it's your next fill in the blank, is this idea. To know God is to love him. That's what he knows. To know God is to love him. And I don't mean like, like know about him. I, I, and that's not what I'm talking about, although that's important too. But I mean to really know God, like know him in relationship, know him personally, know him in an intimate way where you're walking with God and you have that relationship. Because see, I can say that and so does scripture because there's none other like him. There is none other like God. And to truly know God, and as you and I grow to know God, you will grow to love him. To know him is to love him. And so if your enemy can get you distracted to distrust or even disdain toward God, he will do that. He will seek to accomplish that so that you don't come to know who he is. That's what he's trying to accomplish. That's what he's trying to do. So I want to welcome you to our second week of Lies We, Be uh, Lies we Believe. Last week, if you remember, we, we introduced this series and we talked about how, how there are, for any number of reasons, all kinds of lies that we have picked up over the years Things that we believe, things that we hold on to, they're, they're not true, but we, we grab a hold of them and, and, and they really, they kind of dictate our lives. Because we talked about how your beliefs form the tracks that your life runs on. Because you will always live out in action what you believe. Not what you say you believe, but what you actually believe. And so actions demonstrate belief. And what you believe is what you think and the, the, the lies that you can believe. And so what we want to do over these coming weeks is we want to expose the lies and we want to replace it with truth, God's word, scripture, replacing the, the lies that we believe with the truth of his word. In a sense, we want to spend some time thinking about our thinking because this is an important thing to do. What you think really does matter. Now, last week we introduced this idea and we took on one lie. The lie was this, that I need your approval. And if you're here this morning, you didn't hear that message and you think, yeah, I believe that one more than once. You can go back and on Facebook or podcast or whatever and you can watch or listen to that. This morning, though, I want to take on another lie. 
And we're going to be directing this lie toward God. This is a lie that we believe about him. And as I already mentioned, there are an endless number. We could be here all day, all night, all week, month, you name it, of exposing lies about God that people believe. They're, they're just too numerous to, to mention. But I want to just this morning talk about one. Just one lie. And it's a big one. And my hunch is this. My hunch is that for some of you here this morning, you've grabbed a hold of this lie. That it has gripped your heart, it has gripped your life, it is something that you have for any number of reasons you have believed this morning. And if maybe not this morning for you, maybe you can recognize this morning, I've been there before. This is something I've struggled with because it's that kind of a lie. It, it's really a big one. The other thing about this lie too that I want to just mention that, that is interesting as you're going to see here this morning is that when we believe this one lie, what happens is it opens the door for us to believe several other lies. And so it becomes a lie that has that cascade effect into all these other areas of our lives. We have to watch out for this one. So here's the lie. Are you ready for it? Here's your next fill in the blank. Here's the lie for this morning. It's simple but profound. Here it is. The lie is God doesn't love me. God doesn't love me. Ever felt that before? Ever, ever thought that before? What happens so often is that this lie shows up during the hard times of life, doesn't it? It shows up during the times of life of suffering and pain and, and you look around and you begin to wonder. And maybe you have thoughts like this. You have thoughts of, of no, nobody, nobody loves me, nobody's here. I'm walking through this alone, including God. He's not here. It doesn't feel like he's here and so maybe he doesn't love me. Or maybe it's like, it's like you've grown up in the church and, and, and you know all about the Bible. And so you know like the verse, for God so loved the world. And you're like, well, I get that, but the world's big and I must be lost in the mix of all that. And so I'm not even sure God actually likes me, much less loves me. Again, these are things that we, we feel, we think. Or maybe for you it's this. Maybe for you it's this idea. Um, if, if God loved me, then fill in your blank. You know, what's your blank? If God loved me, then this would work out. If God loved me, then this situation is hard would be fixed. If God loved me, he wouldn't have allowed me to go through this. And, and we do this if-then thing. If God loved me, then, and we, we fill in our blanks all the time. And when we do that, it begins to breed doubt into our heart and mind that God actually loves me. That this is who he is, or that you are in some ways worthy of his love. This, this is a big deal. This is, this is all of us. And maybe for you, you've never said it out loud, God doesn't love me. But you've thought about it or you've felt it. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's where you've been. It reminds me of the Old Testament story of a guy named Job. And you say his name and for most instantly you just think of suffering. You think of a, of a guy who, who, I mean, he, he wasn't sinless, but he was righteous. He was a, a man who, who loved the Lord and he tried to order his life in a way to, to please God. But God allowed in his sovereignty uh, to, to go through horrendous suffering. And as Job did, he, he was upright in how he walked through it, but don't think he was human too. He doubted, and he began to doubt God's love. He began to really struggle. And it hits a point of almost climax in chapter 10, verse 8. Let's look at this verse here together, because maybe this will echo some of the things you've thought or felt before. Job says these words as he begins to, to doubt God and his love for him. He says, your hands shaped me and made me. Will you now turn and destroy me? You talk about struggle. Again, you talk about coming to a point of, God, I, 
look, I know you're there. I know you made all this, and here I am. And there was a time in my life I didn't have any doubts, but here I sit today, and I'm just not so sure. I don't know what I did. I don't know what you did. I don't know what happened, but I don't know, and I'm certainly not experiencing your love. I'm doubting your love, God, for me. And when this happens, and maybe this has happened for you, when this happens, then, then faith becomes a life of circus carnival mirrors that you walk around in and nothing seems to make sense anymore. And God doesn't make sense. And what I'm, what's coming at me, the feedback I'm getting doesn't seem to line up because it's, it's like I read something in scripture, but I don't experience it in life and I'm doubting God and I'm doubting me and I'm not sure what's going on. And all of a sudden, everything begins, begins to become unhinged as you lose sight of this idea that God is love and that God loves you. This is what happens. And as I mentioned before, as we buy this lie, then all these other lies begin to take effect and take root. Can I share with you a couple examples? Just really quickly, just a few examples. Here's one. Your next fill in the blank. See if this is you. See if you can resonate with this. Maybe you've thought this before too. How about this one? God only loves me when I do the right thing. Ever had that thought? This, this picture of God that his love is conditional, this, this picture of God that, that, that his love is based on, on me, that, that if I have a good day, then, well, God, I'm guessing he'll love me then. But if I have a bad day, then no way, there's no chance. But then if you're honest about your life, you're like, I don't know that I have any good days. Most of them are bad days. In fact, if it's perfect the scale, then there aren't any good days. And, and then so here's the thing. You begin to believe if you have to be perfect to earn God's love, then you believe then you're not a candidate to have God's love. That God may be loving and God may love the world, but not me. That's hard. It's really difficult. And then it can be compounded with this idea that you could be struggling or a person can be struggling in their faith about the love of God and then they come to church and that's good and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think it can be easy to have this perception that you know what you're going through, but other people walking through the door, I mean, most people, it just kind of looks like everything is pulled together beautifully in their life and, and everything's working great. They're almost floating in, just how are you doing? A little Shekinah glory above their head and smiling and halos and it's all good and I feel so close to God and how are you doing? Oh, couldn't be better and all this. And on the inside, whether that's true or not, on the inside, you believe I'm not anything like them <laughs> because I'm not okay, because I am struggling, because you seem so close to God, but he feels so far away from me. I don't get it. Because you know about your week and you know about where you're at in life. And you know, and, and so do all of us, that there's, there's things that you're doing in your life that you shouldn't be doing. And there's things that you're not doing that you should. And you carry that weight. And it's easy to compare and to look around and to say, do I even fit here? I'm not sure I'm a candidate for God's love. If God's love is conditional. That's a tough place to be. And if ever you've been there before, or maybe you're there now, then faith for you likely is an experience packed with guilt and pressure and sometimes a sense of, I think I just want to give up. But it comes back to a lie. The lie being that I am only worthy of God's love when I do the right thing. That's a lie. That's not true. Or how about this lie? Here's another one. Maybe this is one you fall into. The lie of this, that God wants me to suffer. 
So, so here's this idea that if I believe that God doesn't love me and I look at my life and it's packed with pain, well, then it must be that God is either A, allowing it, maybe even enjoying it, or third, causing it. But regardless, I look around and I begin to question, God, I mean, really? Is this who you are and is this what you allow? See, the enemy, what he wants to do is he wants to bring you and I to a place where we measure, please hear this, we measure God's goodness based on our comfort. That somehow God's goodness and love and who he is, the, the standard, the measurement of that being true or not is based on our comfort and how the conditions of our life. But that's not true. Again, a lie that we, that we grab a hold of and we believe far too often. And when we do, our picture of God is not accurate. Faith, we become disillusioned. We become disappointed. Faith becomes a struggle when we buy that lie. Or here, just one more, one more. Again, when we doubt God's love, how about this one? The lie is this, that God cannot be trusted. You ever felt that? And the thing about that trust is interesting is that love and trust are connected. Have you ever thought about that before? Because you're probably not going to trust someone that you believe doesn't love you. But if you know they love you, you're more inclined to trust them. That they go together. In fact, one of the ways for you and I that we demonstrate our love for God is by trusting him, by, by doing what he's asked us to do. And as we do that, we demonstrate our love for him. And, and can I just, on this kind of theme, if I can just maybe take a little bit of a segue and just give one other example of, of a lie that we believe that ties in with this idea of trust. And it has to do with an area of our lives. It has to do with finances. Because there is a lie that you and I can believe, that we can hold on to that says, God, I, I, I can't trust you with, with my resources. That, that God's not worthy of my trust in that area. That there's, there's something about that area that I can't trust God with it. Because he, here's the thing. Let's just be real, real with each other right now this morning. When it comes to Christianity, when it comes to you and I and, and faith, your wallet and your purse, they're the la typically the last thing and the hardest thing to surrender over to Jesus. Did you catch that? It typically, your wallet or purse, your resources, it's the last thing to be surrendered over, and it's the hardest thing to be surrendered over. To say, to say God, you're in charge of this. This is all yours. That I've, I, I've come to know you as Savior, your Lord, and your Lord of my life, and, and then I, that just means all the areas of my life. And so here's another area, Lord. I just want to hand this over to you and say, you get to be in control of this area. And I mentioned this this morning because, not because I want something from you. I want something for you. Can I share with you as one of your pastors how I pray for you? I mean, pray for new hope. I, I pray for you, one of the ways, one of the many ways I pray for you is that we would be a church that 100% of households participate in giving. Again, not because I want something from you. I want something for you. New Hope has 276 households and growing every week. That's a lot of households. But I'm praying that all 276 households would come to a place where they say, God, I'm going to trust you in this area of my life and surrender that over to him. Again, it's the hardest thing. It's oftentimes the last thing. But what I oftentimes have heard over the years and even here at New Hope is this idea that if I can't give 10%, then I'm not going to give any percent. If I can't do like such and such, whatever that such and such is, then nothing ever happens. But can I encourage you this morning 
my encouragement this morning is to start somewhere. Because you can't outgive God. And it's one of those areas he says, trust me in it. And it's one of those areas where there is blessing and provision. There's like a floodgate that it could open up where God can begin to show you more of who he is in a really special, tangible, specific way when we begin to say, okay, God, here it is. I'm handing it over to you. I surrender it to you. And there's only way that that's gonna happen is when we come to that place of trusting him. And so my encouragement is start somewhere. Take your five loaves and two fish, whatever that may be. I don't care if it's a dollar. I don't care if it's five dollars. I don't care. But I do care about you and I care about all of us collectively saying we're gonna come to a place of obedience and trust in God. Why? Because you love him. And because you know he loves you. And if he cares about a sparrow and he cares about all the minutiae details of this world, do you think he not cares about you? He absolutely does. To meet your needs and to love you right where you're at. So can I challenge you? Can I encourage you? Double dog dare you? And if not for that reason, maybe just for this reason then. Because God, and he gets all the credit and glory for this, God is doing something incredible at New Hope Church right now. Have you picked up on it? I mean, he's moving, he is doing things, lives are being changed. Can, can I just share a couple examples, just real quick with you? Did you realize in the last 60 days, we've had 22 people come to Christ at New Hope Church? 22, right? Seriously, that's exciting. These are, these are people's lives that are being changed. And two Sundays, we're filling up the tub and four people are getting baptized. You get to hear their stories of what's going on. The average church in America baptizes one person every two years. But, I mean, I don't even know how many. We're up to dozens now this year. I mean, it's, it's just an exciting thing that God is doing. How, how about this one? One of our dreams this year was that we as a church, through a strategic outreach, we would reach 1,000 people in our community. That's a lot of people. That's a big number. But, but we said, you know what? We're going to commit to this. So things like Love Adele Day, which is coming up. We're not even done this year. We're doing more. And, and Summer Break Party and, and VBS and all these different outreaches that we're doing do you realize that we have been able to reach, you have been able to reach this year 742 people in our community? What that doesn't mean they've come to New Hope. That's not even the point. The point is that we get to show and share the love of Christ with 742 people in the Adel community and beyond. That's huge. That's significant. Or how about this? Two, two Wednesdays ago, we had our first Amplify here. And if you're not familiar with what Amplify is, it's an outreach ministry for kids, for New Hope kids, but also in the community. We had 124 kids pack into this building here learning about Jesus. Most of them don't even go to New Hope Church. That's huge. This is significant stuff that God is doing. Now, if you're kind of sitting back and you're like, well, those are just numbers. I, I know, they are. But numbers tell stories. And every one of those numbers represents a person a person that God loves, a person that God is, is seeking to move in their life and do something significant, and he's using you. See, when you give, you are investing into ministry and life change in a very practical, tangible way. I don't know about you, but I think most of us, we want to be a part of something like that. And when you give, and I don't care what it is, it's a part of that movement that you get to be a part of. It's an exciting thing. So the lies that we can believe, that God's not trustworthy, that God wants me to suffer, that, that God only loves me when I do the right thing, it ultimately comes back to this idea that God doesn't love me. So what we're going to do now is we've got to combat that with truth. And here's, next fill in the blank, here it is. That, and this is our action step every single week for this series. We're going to combat the lies with truth. And here's the truth. The truth is that there is nothing that you can do to stop God from loving you. 
There's nothing you can do to stop God from loving you. And, and I know, I know, if, look, if you've been a Christian a long time, you've been in church a long time, that's white noise. You've heard it. You know it. You knew it when this small. But can I just encourage you this morning, some of these scriptures we're going to share as we begin to wrap up, we, we just hear them for a fresh way. Just, just hear them anew of what God is saying to you, to us. Look with me, for example, at Romans chapter 8, verse 38. Paul says, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the, the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor debt nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, nothing. Nothing can separate you. And this is where we say, well, yeah, but what about, nope, not that either. Well, yeah, but what about that one time when I did the, nope, not that either. Nothing. Nothing is nothing. That, that nothing can separate you from God's love. And if you're here this morning and that just feels a little too abstract, a little too philosophical, let me just close with two more examples, concrete examples. And there's so many we could have looked at, but just look at these two. Isaiah chapter 49, starting in verse 15. God says this. He says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Well, though she may forget, God says, I will not forget you. He says, see, I have engraved, in other words, tattooed you on the palms of my hands. Unless it was a big mistake, tattoos are, they're permanent and they're meaningful. And God says, look, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. Now, this is symbolic speech. God doesn't have hands. But the Son of God, born into creation, well, he did. And it just could be that as he was on the cross and he had his arms spread out there, nailed to the cross, paying the penalty for your sin and mine, that just maybe he looked to his left and right, seeing the palms there and remembered this scripture because he did it for the, the glory of his Father and out of love for you, paying the penalty for your sin. See, here, here's the thing. If you ever doubt God's love for you, just go back to the cross. That's, that's how much he loves you. John, John 3.16, you remember that verse? Here's our, our last one, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. And just pause here real quick because, again, that just feels big, and it feels like you just have a number, one out of a whole lot of numbers, and you can get lost in that crowd pretty quick, right? But you can insert your name in there too, for God so loved, and put your name in, put our name in, or other people that you know and love, he loves them too. For God so loved the world, loved all, that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. See, as we close, here's what I want you to hear. Hear, hear that. This. this is so important. And you should next fill in the blank. Here it is. God's love for you is not dependent on you. In some ways, it has nothing to do with you. I mean, you're the object of it, but it's not dependent on you. Because it's dependent on who he is. See, God is love. And when he loves, he's just living out his person, character, and nature. It's just who he is. You're the object of it, and so am I. But it's not dependent on you. It's not dependent on your good days or bad days. It's not dependent on how you think or feel or what you do or don't do. He just loves you because it's who he is. So can I ask you this morning, do you believe this? I mean, do you, in the core of who you are, believe that God loves you?
Believe that you are worth that, worth his love in your life. Your last fill in the blank is this. Is we're gonna bring up Pastor Jake here in just a moment and celebrate communion. And here's your action step and what I wanna encourage you. I, I, just this idea, just don't live to earn God's love. Live like you have it. And there's, there, there's just a world of difference between those two things. Because one of them is the hamster wheel of exhaustion. Of I've got to earn God's love. I've got to do this. I've got to give here and go here and serve there and be on this committee and blah, 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 blah. You know, and on and on it goes. And somehow try to earn his love. Stop. Stop. Don't live like you have to earn his love. But let's commit, you and I, to just simply receiving it. Look, like you, I don't understand it. I don't understand why God loves and loves us the way he does, but he does. And so by faith, we receive it. And then we begin to order our lives and respond back to him because of the love he's already extended first to us. Let's live like we have God's love. Pastor Jake. Good morning. In just a moment, um, we'll invite you together to take communion. But I just, communion is a chance to remember um, the greatest act of love that's ever been. I mean, Jesus came down and he died on the cross and he was willing to die for each and every one of us here. He was willing to die for me. He was willing to die for you. And I mean, that, that's the definition of love. John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this, to, lie down one's li- to lay down one's life for his friends. 1 John 4, 10 says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And that's so important. That's, that's a be- this is a beautiful picture of the, his death, his body that he laid down for us, his blood that he shed for us. But those lies get trapped up even this morning. We, we get this idea that we don't deserve it. We don't, but he loved us. And that we, we have to clean ourselves up before we come to communion. And we don't. We, we get clean because of his blood. And so... In just a moment, we'll come up, and I just want you to, to think on, to meditate on just what his love means and what that means for us as we live it out. Um, yeah, so I, go ahead. I invite you guys just to come up right down the center aisle, um, take the elements, and then we will.